We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ryan, let's move on to some of the question marks that have to get answered. And and some of them are are not. And and, and the first one is going to be like that. There's some of these that are not necessarily concerns in regard to it's a negative, it's a bad thing, it's just more of an unknown. For example, uh, how quickly, number one question for me is how quickly can this new staff mesh? Now, the good thing is last year it was one returner and four new guys was what we had on office. A new running backs coach, new receivers, new tight ends, new line coach. Now, Tommy Reese had a year working with Harry Heesan in the past, but that had been five years prior, and they hadn't really worked together in the capacity in which they worked together last year. But everybody else was new. Chancey Stuckey was brought in primarily because of John McNulty. And so you thought that they'd have a relationship, and then John McNulty leaves, and now Chancey Stuckey doesn't know anybody on the offensive staff. And, and so when you look at it and you say to yourself, okay, you've got three new offensive coaches. And my answer to that is yes, that's one few newer coaches than what you had the year before. And so there's a little bit more, you know, on the perimeter, there's all, they've all worked together before chant coach Stuckey, coach McCall and coach Parker have all worked together before the other two parts, guys that haven't worked together before. That's all part of it, but that's, what's great about spring ball. The offensive staff is there. They're going to have two weeks. Joe, Joe Rudolph's going to be on campus for two weeks before spring starts. Going to give him plenty of chances to get to know the players a little bit, but more importantly, to get to know the other coaches. You know, what's the communication like? How do they communicate in meetings? How do they communicate on the practice field? Are, is Jared Parker able to, to set the agenda and then everybody follows it? Those are all question marks that have to get answered, Ryan. And if they don't get answered effectively, then this staff is not going to be able to reach the maximum potential with this offensive football team. The staff has to be able to find ways to, to, to blend together to really get the most out of it. And I say they have to do that not because I'm concerned about it or they haven't done it in the past. It's just this is always a question mark when you bring in new coaches. And when a new guy, a guy that's on the staff, is now in a new role, how are Coach Stuckey and Coach McCullough going to respond to Jared Parker now that he is the coordinator, not just another assistant? Those are all dynamics that that you can think all you want that it's going to be fine, but you need to see it. And so that's something I'm looking for this spring. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, and I, I think I definitely talked about this maybe last week, the week before. I, I, I think it was last week we were talking about the whole Joe Rudolph thing and, and obviously him becoming the offensive line coach potentially. But, Brian, for me, I, I talked about it like this. If you're Jared Parker now becoming the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, you look to your right, you have Gino Gadouli, who has been a play caller on the college level. You look to the other side, and you're like, I how have – Joe Rudolph, who has called offense at the college level. By the way, I have Dila McCullough, who was a running back coach with the with the Kansas City Chiefs, who was means he was around Andy Reid, who was a very sharp offensive mind, right? So there's a lot of experience there, and there's a lot of knowledge there. And I think that that could be a big added bonus to Jared Parker, kind of meshing his style with like, hey, well, that's a good idea. Maybe we should use a little bit of a wrinkle in there, and we could utilize that a little bit. But the other side of that conversation, though, is that sometimes too much information is way too much information, right? And I do worry a little bit about Coach Parker. I want this to be your offense. I do. At the end of the day, you're the guy calling the plays. You're the guy that's butt's going to be on the line if it's not going well. And you're the guy that's going to get praised if it is going well. So this needs to be your offense. I want him to be able to collaborate with the other coaches and to obviously get those ideas and utilize what he thinks that he can utilize but sometimes when there's too many voices, there's too much experience, sometimes that does cloud the vision a little bit. So I think the meshing is absolutely important because you have a lot of big personalities on the staff offensively. We know that Dylan McCullough has a big personality. We know Chancey Stuckey has a big personality in a good way. It's not a negative. They're, they're just big personalities. Joe Rudolph has a ton of experience. 
but being able to mesh cohesively because there are a lot of different types of personalities in that offensive coaching staff. There's a lot of different experience levels in that offensive coaching staff. Joe Rudolph has been doing this for a pretty long time now. Dylan McCullough has been doing this for a pretty long time now. Chancey Stuckey, not as much experience as obviously that group. Gino Gadouli has a decent amount of, of coaching experience. So there's a little bit of a nice mixture there, which sometimes can mesh really well. But to your point, it's not a negative. It's just what is it going to look like? What is the what is the conversations and the relationships between between each one of these coaches going to look like? We have no idea. You know, we partly know like you know the guys that are in similar situations, the Dila McCullers, the Chancy Stuckies, like how they interact together is probably going to be pretty similar because they're in the same exact position. But it's not going to be exactly the same for Jared Parker. It's not. You don't know what it's going to look like with Joe Rudolph. You don't know what it's going to look like with Juno Kaduli. That is an unknown until it's not an unknown anymore. I think it could turn out really great, but at the end of the day, you have an off new offensive coordinator that needs to have his identity on this program, on this offensive side of the football, and you need everyone to buy in, right? And I need to see if that buy-in starts happening this spring. Like you said earlier, you're not going to know a full identity in a spring, but there needs to be some groundwork that's laid right. to understand right. this is happening. Right, right. Yeah, you're definitely trying to establish it, Ryan. You don't just say, well, let's see how spring goes, and then we'll figure out who we want to be. No, you you establish first day of winter workouts. This is who we want to be, but it, it'll adjust and adapt as you go through spring and see what your team is or is not good at. And so for me, Ryan, I think you hit on a point. You, you kind of got to this, and I'm just going to say it bluntly. Adding two, Adding three coaches to your staff with play calling experience can be a really good thing or a really bad thing. And it all determines on how much people accept their roles, right? And that's the reality of it, right? Got to know your role. And and it also is dependent upon – so it's partly dependent on those coaches knowing, hey, look, I'm not the OC now. I'm I'm the I'm the quarterback's coach. I'm not the OC now. I'm the offensive line coach. That, that's my job. But it also is dependent on Jared Parker showing enough reverence and respect for those coaches to then – seek their counsel in a way that you lean on some of those experiences while uh, uh, building the offense into what you want it to be. And so there's both of that. Cause if you have these guys that are always trying to bully their opinions on everybody else, well, I've been a coordinator. I've been in those meetings before, Ryan, it's nauseating, right? Like, yes. And you're not a coordinator anymore for a reason. I wanted to say in those meetings, now, I'm not saying that about these guys, but I wanted to say it in those meetings. But at the same time, it can't always be Jared Parker whenever someone has an idea saying, well, look, I'm the OC now. We're going to do it my way. It can't be either one of those. It has to be both working together and them showing respect for the fact that you are the boss of the offense and then you showing respect for, I've got some really talented guys in this room. And, and that's true of Dila McCullough, who hasn't been a coordinator, but is a really accomplished football coach. And somebody like Chancey Stuckey has a completely different background from everybody else on the staff because Chancey's football experience didn't come from coaching. He's right. now going to his third year as a coach. It came from being a, a, a guy that caught over 100 passes in the National Football League over a five-year career. So you've got all these really unique backgrounds. It's up to Jared Parker to say, let's mold them all together and figure out how we can make this one cohesive group. But at the end of the day, all five guys, when they leave that office with the game plan and the practice plans and everything else, they've got to be on the same page. And that's going to be a big thing. Well, and, and that's in every every profession of life, right? That stuff happens. I mean, I think think of it like, Brian, it's like if, if I'm a CEO of a company and I just hire a new president to be like the guy underneath me and he has CEO experience, 
he's going to have something in him that's going to say, like, I know what I'm doing, right? Like, I know that that's the wrong way to do it, but but that's not your role in this, right? Your role is to make suggestions if I need it, right? If I ask to you and I counsel you to have the, that type of background, but I just think that the finding roles is very important. But at the end of the day, man, this is Coach Parker's show offensively. It's his show, man, and it's up to him to make those decisions, to counsel appropriately, to mesh what needs to be meshed and mesh what does not need to be put into the playbook. That's so important. Because if this offense doesn't work, nobody's like, that freaking Gino Gadouli, man. I sw- <laughs> No, man, freaking Joe Rudolph is terrible. Right. No, it's going to be, what the heck's up with Jared Parker? Exactly. Right? Fair or unfair sometimes, right. but yeah. yeah. Right, right. So, so he's going to have to make sure that he has conviction in what he's doing. But sometimes your conviction can be in – that guy knows more about this thing than I do. Exactly. And that's what you do. Like, you know, like Ryan, when I hired you, part of the reason was is to say, we have no draft presence here. Yes, you're going to be covering recruiting, but I also try to give you the, the, the space to say, let's use this other thing that you bring to the table that, that I just, I don't have any interest in. Right. Yeah. And that's knowing that your people's strengths. And so you, as an OC has to do that. Use your people's strengths. Know where this guy brings more experience and talent than you do and allow him to speak into that particular area when that's the part of the conversation. And I think that's an important part. And hopefully Jared Parker learned it. And, and I think it, I think it's going to be a great experience for him. What he went to West Virginia with a head coach that didn't always listen to the things he had to say. If you're a good coach, you learn from that and say, and this is part of Marcus Freeman's problem last year as I actually think Coach Freeman gave too much deference to his assistant yeah. coaches because he wished a head coach would have had more faith in him, perhaps. you know, And 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 that can be an issue for a first-time head coach, first-time coordinator. Now, I think Coach Freeman started taking more and more control of it. But for Jared Parker, it's, hey, you, know, you, had, you had a guy that wouldn't listen to you enough. Don't be that guy to these other coaches. But you also still have to have enough command that everybody knows you're in charge. And that's that's the reality of it. And and, and I am optimistic they're going to get there, but until they prove it, we, we it's an unknown. Right. Number two, question concern. And I don't know if we'll have the answer fully this spring, but it if it doesn't start to get answered this spring, I'm going to get nervous coming out of the spring. And that is who becomes the pardon me, who becomes the go-to pass catcher or hopefully pass catchers from running this year. There's no question who it was the last two years. None. It was Michael Mayer. And even in 2021, Kevin Austin was the complimentary player to Michael Mayer. Michael Mayer was still the dude. Yes. Who's going to be that guy this year? And and I'm not talking, Ryan, from a volume standpoint. I'm not talking about who's going to be that 80-catch, 1,200-yard guy. That's what I'm talking about. For me, it's more of, okay, who is the guy that the quarterback goes to when he's in trouble? Who is the guy that's going to step up in the big games? Who's going to be the guy that steps up in the big moments? Because like part of the thing that made Will Fuller special, yes, he had 70 catches for 10,000 yards or 10,000 10, 10, yards would be impressive. Yards one year. <laughs> Next year he has 60-some catches, 1,200 yards. I mean, the, the production was phenomenal. I had like, what, 29 touchdowns over two years. That was all phenomenal. But the thing that made Will Fuller special to me was not that. It's that Will Fuller made money plays. You know, you look at the game winner against Virginia in 2015. You look at the game winner against Temple in 2015. You look at uh, the the touchdown early against USC where USC had just quickly grabbed all the momentum. You know, you're talking about a team that had just destroyed you the year before at their place, 49 to 14. 
and you answer right back, smoke the you know Dory Jacks for a touchdown. Like Will Fuller could make the money plays as well, and and that to me mattered as much, if not more, than the production overall. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about go to guy. I don't, I don't care if you're an 800 yard guy or 700 yard guy or 1200 yard guy. Who's the guy that when when they're in the playoff next year and it's third and five and you're down six and you're driving on Georgia? Who's going to step up and make a play? Because when they got in that situation in 2017, Ryan, nobody stepped up against Georgia. When they got in that situation in 2018 against Clemson, nobody stepped up in that situation. When they got into that situation against Georgia in 2019, nobody stepped up in that situation, right? And so that's what I'm talking about. Who are the money guys? Who are the guys that when the quarterback knows I have a play to make, this is where I'm going to go to football? Because we can say all we want. We know you shouldn't lock in on a receiver. That's not, that's fine, and in theory, for most of the time, that's important. But you're going to design a play on third and five to go to somebody. Sure. And who are the guys you're going to design it to? Who are going to make those plays? Who are the guys that you as an offense – who are the guys as I'm sitting here, I'm the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, right? I'm Jared Parker. And I'm sitting there with my staff every Sunday night, and we're sitting there saying, okay, who do we have to figure out ways to get the ball to this week? How are we going to figure out how to get this guy the football this week? Because our game plan has to be built around getting this guy and this guy the football. Who forces you into having that conversation? That's what I want to know. The talent is there, Ryan, at receiver, at tight end, at running back, all over the place. Who at receiver and at tight ends this spring – steps up and it becomes that guy or hopefully those guys. Now that doesn't mean on third and five, your money guy may be Jaden Thomas, even though he may not be your money guy, other situations, but who steps up in whatever circumstances says this down, this situation, this game, get me the ball. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go do this guy. Can't cover me. I'm going to smoke him. Like, dude, you're going to get the best country corner. I don't care. I got this. You want that kind of guy. I don't know who that's going to be yet. There's a lot of options. But nobody's proven to be that guy yet, Ryan. And that's where we talk about the talent from the earlier portion is there. But who has proven to be that guy so far? Nobody. Yeah. And that's who that's something we're gonna have to start. We're gonna start hearing and seeing through the spring. Oh, every time they get to a team period, this dude all of a sudden gets the ball thrown his way a bunch. Does he make plays or not? We're gonna start to see that stuff and it builds the foundation for what's gonna be what this team's gonna become in the fall. We've already been asked this question a million times this offseason so far as like who's the guy at wide receiver because the fun parts and also the volatile part is that nobody knows the answer to that right now. You know, it, if I said right now, I think Deion Coles is going to be that guy, you'd be like, okay, I could see that. Uh, but I could also say Tobias Merriweather is going to be that guy. And you would say like, yeah, I could also see that one. I could say Jane Thomas. And then I could also say, you know, maybe Mitchell Evans sprinkling in at times. It could be the guy in the passing game. And all those answers are correct right now. None of them are wrong because we don't know the answer to it, right? Like you could literally, say it's both, right? You could say they're all wrong, right? But you could also then say, but they all end up turning being wrong. That's that's exactly. your point, right? Exactly. We don't yep. we don't know. We don't and, know. And it makes it a fun discussion, but it's also this is that proven commodity versus talent thing we were talking about earlier, right? You don't know who those guys are. There's a lot of talents, so there's a lot of options in theory. But at the end of the day, when the light shines brightest, and you're, you know, if you're at, you're away at USC in a bright moment of the game in a night game, like who's that guy? Who's that guy that's going to make that big moment play when you're playing against Ohio State in a one score game in the fourth quarter? 
who's that guy that's going to make a big play when you're playing against Clemson in one of the biggest games of the year? Who's that guy? That that's that's the biggest question mark we have. I think I know a couple of guys who make sense and that I think can be that guy, but ultimately this spring is going to be a big opportunity for those wide receivers to mesh that's with the quarterback, with Sam Hartman. Who does Sam Hartman trust? That's more important than all this conversation of who's that guy that steps up when the big moments happen. Where does Sam eyes go? Where does like somebody go? just somebody just said in the chat, the guy who will be whoever Sam Hartman trusts the most. Okay, fine. Who but where that? does that trust come from? Right. That trust doesn't come from just we're hanging out and this guy's really good in Madden, so he's the guy I'm going to throw the ball to. No, it comes from who has earned that trust in practice, and that's what we're talking about here. Who is that guy that goes out there this spring and says, man, every time we get to a – because Marcus Freeman likes doing competitive stuff. And I and this is actually something I hope that this continues this year because that's where you find out really who is your guy. Not some guy that goes out there and makes plays in one-on-ones or seven-on-sevens, but like when you're in those competitive red zone periods, loser runs, winner walks, right? You know, who's the guy that steps up in that situation? Who's the guy that steps up in a, you know, scrimmage win is on the line. It's me versus Benjamin Morrison. I got to beat him. Who, who is that? Who, first of all, who wants that matchup? First of all, that's going to tell you something. Who wants that? Who jumps into the front of the line and says, no, 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 no. Coach, give me this one, right? That's going to tell me something, right? And if you're a coach and you're at a camp, right? And you're like, okay, last rep, last rep. I want to watch what receivers are running up to the front of the line to say, no, no, I want this one. Or, hey, a, a stud receiver. Like I was at a camp one time, Ryan. And there was this kid that was just every time the best cornerback on the other on the defense was would step up, the guy there but thought was the best, he would then cut in line because he wanted that smoke. Right? He won some, lost some, but I want that mindset. I wanted that mentality. And who is that guy for Notre Dame? That's who's going to earn Tyler Buck- or Sam Hartman and Tyler Buckner's trust. Not a starter just because or well, he's this or he's that. It's who earns it through how they go yeah. out and prepare every week. Those are going to be the questions. Because it's not, it's not, it's not just the wide receiver coach that's going to be, that's going to be evaluating that position every day. The quarterbacks watch those drills, man. They watch those. They see the routes that they're running. If I have a wide receiver out there that's just running half butt routes all day, right, and on air and just not giving any effort at all and not competing for the football, I'm not looking for that guy. I mean, this is Sam Hartman's obviously been here in the winter for those winter workouts, but this is a big opportunity for Sam Hartman to see these guys in live action, going against other people. Who are those competitive guys that, when it matters most, are going to say, I'm the dude, I'm that guy. Like, I'm going to run my route hard. I'm going to win at the catch point when it matters most. We don't know that answer right now. We have a bunch of guys that could be that. And historically speaking, we can pull some stuff from what Sam Hartman has liked at Wake Forest and said, like, you know, Deion Colsey, Tobias Merriweather probably make a lot of sense for being that guy. But at the end of the day, he didn't really he didn't have a slot receiver that looks like Jaden Thomas there. He hasn't had tight ends that look like a like a Mitchell Evans there. He hasn't had those types of guys. So could his preference change based upon what he sees at Notre Dame compared to where it was at at Wake Forest? I mean, that's why this spring is so big because this is more than anything for me. This is an opportunity for the quarterbacks and for Sam Hartman to get comfortable with what's around him, to know who his guys are. Because when when fall comes around, man, that foundation has to be laid a little bit. You know, you need to know they'll be they'll be throwing routes all winter. They've been throwing routes all winter. They'll be throwing routes all spring. They're gonna be throwing routes all the way up to fall practice. By the time fall, fall practice comes around and you're really, you know, solidifying your identity as a team. 
Sam Hartman already kind of knows who his guys are at that point. You know, like guys take jumps and different people go into the fold, but he's been throwing with Deion Colsey, Tobias Merriweather, Jane Thomas all offseason. He's been throwing with those guys. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see just who he hones in on as the guys that we're going to make plays for him when it counts most. Right. So, Ryan, here's the thing about Sam Hartman, too, and this is a bit of an unknown, but we're not going to focus on it now because it doesn't matter now. It won't matter till the fall. The one thing we don't know about Sam Hartman is how is he going to do under the when the lights are brighter? Let, let's be real about something. About the only game that I would argue Sam Hartman's ever really uh, – games he's ever really played in where they're going to be of the magnitude of what he faces almost weekly at Notre Dame is the ACC championship game in 2021 where he didn't play that well. And then against Clemson. And first game against Clemson was bad. To, he, he's played he's played much better the last two years, and he was very good this year. Yeah, But he just hasn't had a lot of those moments, and that's going to be the one thing. But honestly, that's not something that's going to – we're going to know a lot about this spring. Number three, Ryan, is – and this kind of ties into the last one, so we don't need to spend a ton of time on it because we've already addressed it. But the talent needs to turn into production in a lot of these positions, and especially when it comes to big plays. Notre Dame last year, this is this has just made me want to cry. I knew this was going to be bad, but I, you know, you see it and, and you see the ranking. Last year, Notre Dame ranked 69th in the nation last year in number of plays of 20 yards or more. And they ranked 110th last year in uh plays of 50 yards or more. It's not good. And it was you can we'll talk about all the reasons why we can talk about those, but the reality is they need to become a, a team that's capable of more big plays. The the at the end of the day, Ryan, it's hard for anyone, Georgia, Bama, Clemson, LSU, anyone, to just consistently have to methodically work down the field and score. It just it's hard. You have to be able to do both. That's why I say what is the key to having an elite offense? It's efficiency and explosiveness. You have to have both. And so to me, the efficiency part, I think we've discussed ad nauseum. The big play part, to me, has to come. There's the talent to do so. Thank you. The quarterback play has to get better, and that that's a that's a big one. There was plenty of opportunities, Ryan. You know, I've talked about this. Pl- plenty of opportunities for big plays in the pass game last year, and the quarterbacks just didn't make the plays. Yep. And and so, but it's got to come, and that's going to be a big part of this too. And we need to start seeing some of that this spring. We need to see the spring. I care more about big plays in the pass game because I I believe with the talent they have in the offensive line and running running game, part of the reason they didn't have more big plays in the run game last year was just there was always like nine, ten guys like right there. It's hard to get through three levels before you get to six yards past the line of scrimmage. If the pass game becomes more explosive, that's going to lead to the run game becoming more explosive, in my opinion. The, the pass game comes more comes more explosive because you're more efficient. You attack the perimeter more. RPOs are a, a bigger part of what you're doing, but you also have to be able to get the ball down the field and make plays in space. Now, when I say space, I'm not talking about a bunch of RPOs. I think what a misconception of space is that space is you catch a little swing and then you make people miss. That's fine, but that doesn't happen a ton, especially in big games. You don't you don't often see that. What I'm talking about is getting a guy free on a mesh where he can catch and run. Getting a guy free in an over where he can catch and run, because if you give this guy a three-yard jump, he's not getting caught. 
know, getting this guy on an under route where he's getting space. When I talk about getting got make guys that can make plays in space, that's what I'm talking about, Ryan. Not so much. It'd be nice to have a guy you can throw a now screen to and he can make eight people miss and run 50 yards, but you don't see that. You'll see guys do that in games against bad teams. You don't often see that against teams that are good. You saw Devontae Smith do that against Notre Dame a couple years ago in the in the championship game or the uh, the Rose Bowl. You don't often see that. Right. Not in big games. It's the other stuff that I'm the catch and runs. That's part player. That's also part system. And we saw this a decent amount in 2021 late in the year. We didn't see that much last year. And at the end of the day, schemes got to get better. Playmakers got to make more plays. But this one more than anything else, Ryan, comes down to the quarterback play has got to be a lot better. Yep. Well, and I, I love this because, Brian, you, you just said a, a couple stats, obviously, there about the explosives. And that's why the perception out there is that Notre Dame is a slow team. You know, and I, I feel like I fight this battle every single day because I'm like, nah, man, like Chris Tyree's a 4-3 athlete, you know, like he can run a little bit, you know, that some of the wide receivers, they, they can run, Tobias can run a little bit, you know, and, and he's 6'4", obviously with those long strides. You got Braylon, J- I know somebody in the chat just said that Notre Dame has no wide receivers in the 2023 class, which I just find absolutely hysterical because, I mean, Braylon James is a 6'2 and a half, you know, kid that ran 4-4. Like, yeah, no. We don't need to respond just, to stuff like that. It's just man. so just funny. Focus. Just focus. It's just so funny to me, man. It's just so funny. That's a but, troll. Man. He's blocked. Just focus on <laughs> what we're talking about. Yeah, man. So yeah. stay on track. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I, I just think that there's so much speed on this offense. There's so much dynamic ability potentially. But to your point, in order to be a, a consistently explosive team, you need to be balanced in how you can attack and create explosive plays. Like if you're just an explosive running team that can't create outside the perimeter, I mean, you're going to be very limited to the to the impact that you can create you know, consistently because then teams are going to put extra numbers in the box. If you're a team that can only create explosive in the passing game, well, at the end of the day, man, you were going to, you know, roll coverage to where your most explosive receiver is, for instance. Like, th- there's different ways that you can take things away. The goal for Notre Dame, in my opinion, is to be explosive on both areas of the game, you know, not just a running team, not just a passing team. You need wide receivers to step up. You need running backs to step up. You need to be all around because the only way to create explosive plays consistently, in my opinion, is to be that team that can do it in both areas. That is a hard team to stop because then you're like, do I put extra numbers in the box? Do I keep two safeties high instead of you know rotating one down? That's where the game gets really tricky when you're a defensive coach and you're a defensive coordinator because then you have to make some business decisions. you got to make some tough calls at that point. If you're a team that could just 
stay light in the box and just play man coverage all, all around and the team can't create explosive, it's easy to be a defensive coordinator. It, the, the second that it's not easy to be a defensive coordinator is when you have to make decisions. You have to make a decision that's going to put you light in one area. Notre Dame has enough speed and enough talent to be that team that can affect the game in both ways, and that's something that I need to see from them. You know, it, I think last year, Brian, it, I mean, I think if I remember correctly, I believe Audric Estime had the longest run from scrimmage last year, and then Logan takes, and I'm pretty sure Chris Tyree was third. Was he not yeah. as far as like longest run of the season? He, and, yeah, and and like that should never happen. That should never no. happen. That's one of your guys that are. That's a that's a coaching problem last year as much as it is anything. And I'll and I'll say that I'll continue to say that I don't care what anybody says. How they used Chris Tyree last year in the run game was just irresponsible. His longest yeah. run of the year was 26 yards. Logan, Logan Diggs actually had the longest run last year. He had a 51-yard run. Gotcha. Audrick Estime's longest run was 46. But, um, I mean, yeah, that's that's where you look at it and say, how do you not – I mean, because Chris Tyree has a 90-plus-yard touchdown run under his belt in his <laughs> yeah. career. I mean – And he's going to run 4-3-something when he goes to the combine. Like, yeah. Right. So, to me, it's you, you got to use them correctly. And I thought last year, out of necessity, they were very downhill-oriented, partly out of necessity – partly other reasons. But again, that's why I say, because like number four question mark is efficiency. They haven't been an overly efficient offense this past season. In 2021, they ended up having better numbers because of how they did against bad defenses down the stretch. But it wasn't, it wasn't a great offense for most of the year. So it was a little misleading on some of those numbers. But, you know, this past year, Ryan, when you look at the Fermo efficiency index, Notre Dame ranked 39th in the Fermo efficiency index. For context, that's their lowest efficiency ranking since 2010, according to FEI. And they ranked even lower with ESPN. It was uh, They were 43rd, which was their lowest mark since 2016 when they went 4-8. The previous years, they ranked 27th, 11th, 26th, 19th, and 12th in efficiency. And, and those weren't necessarily great offenses either, but they were relatively efficient. Last year's was neither explosive nor efficient, which again leads to what we are not Marshall had said earlier, which is you kind of sometimes ask yourself, how the heck did this team win nine games? When you look at some of the stuff that happened that it, that we saw last year from this group, and I think that's part of it is efficiency to me is going to lead to more explosives, and then more explosive leads to more opportunities, more efficiency. I mean, they 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 just they go hand in hand. And that's a big part of what this team needs to be because they they were not a great. I'll lead. I'll give you this example right right here, Ryan. Is so uh, last year they ranked forty third nationally in yards per play. And if you look at uh, the teams that won the championship last year, I'm gonna. I just want to make sure I have this statistic right because I'm not sure the way I wrote it. I'm actually not sure if I if I said it the way that I did it. Yes, it. I did say this correctly. So. Last year in yards per play, Notre Dame ranked 45th in yards per play. The four playoff teams ranked first, Ohio State, fourth, Georgia, 14th, TCU, and 17th, Michigan. You've got to be in the top 20, in my opinion, to, to just from an efficiency standpoint. And then the efficiency leads to explosives. And and that's the reality of it, is, is you have you have to be there. Because, again, let's go to the explosive numbers, Okay explosive numbers uh if you look at notre dame ranked 99th on plays of at least 30 yards and uh the pass offense did the run offense ranked 87th and and we mentioned what their overall ranking was 
last season's the playoff teams when this comes to plays of of um 30 yards or more TCU was second Ohio State was fourth Michigan was 18th Georgia was 20th plays of 50 yards or more TCU first Michigan fifth Georgia 17th Ohio State 34th right so Ohio State was a bit of an anomaly with the big plays but 30 or more Ohio State was right there Ohio State was fourth because they have a ton of plays between 30 and 40 yards in their pass game. And so to me, you've got to have the explosives and the efficient. So I just showed you how the two, the four playoff teams all were efficient and explosive. They were top 20 in, in those areas. And Notre Dame has to get there in both areas if they're if they're going to get there. And it's not a personnel problem at this point in time anymore, Ryan. It's can you put all the personnel together and build around it and get them to play to their maximum from a coaching standpoint? That's going to be the key. Last one for me, you got it. Can you keep everybody happy? One of the concerns with having as much talent as Notre Dame has is can you keep all the receivers and all the running backs and all the tight ends and all the quarterbacks happy? That's a question mark. And there's not a lot else needs to be said about it, but I'm very curious to see how they go about doing that in their conversations with players, in in their and how they use guys in practice. In the past, we'd see young guys just standing around a ton, a ton. Yeah. You can't see that this year. You got to keep guys engaged. I'm very curious how that's going to be this spring, right? Yeah, it's going to, it's, it, I mean, because I think of running back is a great example that we've talked about already. I mean, we already said it's five to six running backs deep, especially when we get into fall camp. And, you know, is, you know, there's going to be some guys like Jeremiah Love coming in for the first time. It's like, that guy's pretty dang good, man. Are you going to get him involved in some capacity or at least let him going to compete or, are you going to just walk, turn to just the pure veterans? Cause that's kind of where they have and where they've been. Or are you going to let those guys get pushed? Like there's a lot of different nuances to the whole, you know, are guys comfortable with their roles? Cause you know, kids are smart, man. Like I think Jeremiah love, if he comes in and he's just like, you know, Oh, you know, that guy's pretty good. I kind of have to like ease my time here a little bit while still competing to try to be the best version of myself every day. That's like a, a different conversation. I mean, last year, I mean, Brian, wasn't last spring when we had four scholarship receivers healthy, right, for spring? So, I mean, this year you're going to have nine, you know, for the fall. You're going to have a much better number, obviously, this year with three guys coming in of just true freshmen on top of the four that are returning, right? So you have seven healthy guys this year, I believe. Made, yeah, you made, keep, yeah you, you're, I'm just, so I'm you actually the, just thinking now. I'm just thinking the three. They have the three juniors, right? Dion, yes. uh, those three. You have Salerno. You have yep. Caleb Smith. Yep. And you have three early enrollees, so eight. So that's yeah. eight, eight yeah. this spring. And and I'm assuming I don't think I'm missing anybody. I don't think so. Oh, I didn't count. Did I? I didn't count Tobias. So you have oh, the three this year: the three sophomores, Tobias, Salerno, Caleb Smith, and then so you have nine. You have nine this spring. How do I yeah. not count the guy that's number one on my board? <laughs> seriously, oh. seriously. <laughs> uh, so nine healthy receivers this spring. And, and okay, if you'd want to say, okay, well, what about God? You know, you don't want to count Mount Salerno. He was a walk on it for okay, whatever. I still count him because I mean, the guys make, scored touchdowns, and you know, he he he's a. I have no problem with Matt Salerno being a part of your receiver rotation. I just had a problem with him being third or fourth. Yeah. That's my issue, right? And so, but the point is, he's out there. And, and he's part of it. So, but if you want to take him out for whatever reason, then there's eight. Yeah. Right. And so uh, that's kind of the, 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 you look at it and say, there's a, they're in a lot better situation now than they were. And all the guys from last year's spring are older. Yes. Because remember, Tobias wasn't on the roster last spring. It was Jaden, Dion, Lorenzo, and 
Salerno, and I think that's it because Tobias was an early was not an early enrollee. Joe yeah. Wilkins and and Avery Davis were both coming back from spring from knee injuries. I think Avery played at some point in time in the spring, if I remember correctly. I think he did get some spring action, and yeah, it was it was a it was a, it was a bit of a mess. It was a it was a bit of a mess. I, I know yeah. you. I know you had a tweet. I think yesterday or the day before about just the quick change to the wide receiver room under Chancey Stuckey. Man, like it is taking a quick transformation just from a you know getting that four man class in twenty twenty three, developing a guy like a Jaden Thomas throughout the season, getting Deion Coles, he get some confidence down the stretch of the season. Like the fortunes Give of the Caleb wide receiver Smith was room. important too, Ryan. And we we, yeah. we often overlook him. But landing Caleb Smith is important because he is the one guy you know what he can do. You yeah. know what he can do. You know you have a bound, and this is what I, I you know we'll talk about when we get into the uh, into the uh, uh, position battles discussion on Thursday. But one thing I wrote the other day was, you know that at the very least you're going to have Caleb Smith as your starting boundary. The very least, meaning if he wins that job, you know what you have. It's a good, dependable player that can stretch the field and, and make tough catches. But if he's not your starting boundary, then you're going to be really good. Is my point because if Deion Colsey beats him out in the boundary, now you know you're really good. Yeah, but having those two guys, they're both going to play there in some capacity. You start saying, "Man, think about where you were a year ago. Where we didn't know who the heck the we were." You and I had to have conversations about whether or not Lorenzo Styles can play the boundary last year. Oh, do you remember how many times we got asked if uh, if they should move Chris Tyree to the slot last <laughs> last yes. off season? Like it right. was so much. Yeah, yeah, right. So you know. Man, it's it's uh it's it's frustrating, to be honest with you, to, to to watch it how it got to that point in time. It was bad, and you know, man, hats off to Chancey Stuckey though for not being scared away by that and to improve yeah. it so quickly. Man, like yeah. he's really done a tremendous job from that department. Yep. So those are the things that you look at Ryan and say these are the question marks, these are the concerns, these are the things they got to improve upon for Notre Dame. And at the end of the day, the more of those questions that get answered the better this offense is going to be. And if they go five for five in those question marks, Ryan, without losing any of the strengths, even if you just go four and five and your one you lose is, you know, you have a couple guys transfer out because they're not happy, but you become more efficient, become more explosive. The staff meshes together. Somebody steps up as some sort of go-to receiver. You're going to be elite. You really are. And, And even if there's no, no one becomes the alpha, but you have just guys that are clutch. Hey, Jaden Thomas may not be Michael Floyd. But on third and five, that's your guy. You know, hey, Jaden Thomas is not a guy I'm throwing to a bunch stretching the field. But, man, I know I can get I can get Lorenzo there or Tobias there. I mean, if you can have guys that do those things, even in those situations, you're still going to be pretty darn good next year on offense. And so that's why I put on the board yesterday, Ryan. So I'm starting to get really excited about this offense. And, and look, the, 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 the process to put this staff together was flawed, yeah. very flawed. But at the end of the day, this is the point I made on the board yesterday. This staff, as it's constructed now, of what we know now, of not even what we're projecting, of what we know now, is better than the one they had in 2020. And I would argue better than the one they had in 2018. I think 2018 staff's a little bit – I mean, I'll take Joe Rudolph, even on my initial concerns of Joe Rudolph, I'll take him over Jeff Quinney day of the week. Sure. I'll take Chancey Stuckey over, over Dell Alexander any day of the week. You know, Jared Parker, John McNulty, both two very good tight end coaches. That's a wash there, right? What was Tom Reese in 2020? 
He's a 27-year-old guy that had been a college football coach for two, three years. How is he more proven then than what Jared Parker is now? He isn't, right? Mm -hmm. If you just look at where he was coming that season. And running backs coach, I like Lance Taylor. He's a good football coach. Dylan McCall is better, in my opinion. Not by a ton, but he's better. And so, and now quarterbacks coach, again, you had a 27-year-old Tommy Reese or Gino Gadouli, who is a far more proven player coach who's closer to 40. So to me, even with the flawed process, this is still a good football coaching staff, in my opinion. Now, how good it'll be, that's a legitimate question. question. Yeah. But it's a good staff that's better than at least one of Notre Dame's two playoff team staffs, offensively. Defensively, different conversation. But offensively, it is. And you start getting kind of fired up about that. So, Ryan, that's going to do it for that portion of the show. We're going to have Football 1 coming up next, and then we're going to go to our mailbag. But before we get to the Football 101, folks, please hit that like button. Please hit the subscribe button. Please hit the notification bell and share this podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.